Welcome to the Free Your Energy Podcast. 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 I wanted to create a space where I could chat with thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, authors, and health and wellness experts to discuss how we can free ourselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, and beyond. I care about mindset, movement, and positive relationships. And I created this podcast for people who also care about these topics and expansion. 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 Could you tell us, you know, who you are uh, and tell us about your work and, and about your passions? Sure. Um, my name is Amy Shaw. I was a nutrition major in college and then I went to medical school. And after I graduated, I realized that medicine wasn't all what I thought it would be. I thought we would talk a lot more about nutrition and lifestyle um, first as first line. And what I realized it was not even fifth line. It was not even discussed. And so I started to realize that I had to create a different path, but there was no path there for me. And so I started to heal myself through some of the research that I was reading and then start to share that. And, um, that's where I started my wellness um, platform, and now I do both. I'm both a clinical physician and I'm a wellness physician, so I treat people um, in both worlds, which is, keeps me really grounded. I like to see the patients in the clinic also because somewhat, sometimes I lose sight because I'm talking to people who are talking about quinoa and uh, what brand of almond milk, you know, and then I go into the clinic and some of the areas in Phoenix that I work in, and we're just at the basics of, you know, how do you um, not eat fast food for every single meal of the day? And so it really reminds me where we're at um, in society. There's like lots of different places that everybody comes from and we have to kind of meet everyone where they're at. So um, that's pretty much about me. I wrote a book called I'm So Effing Tired. I have a follow-up book coming up um, in 2023, which I'm excited about too. Oh, nice. Can you mention the book or, or not yet? Uh, well, I'm, uh, it's, it's, it's along the lines of gut-brain connection and some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so it's really up that alley of, you know, how do we fix our what are we really hungry for? Or, you know, what is really um, going to motivate us um, to eat or to do things or to pursue things um, that make us happy? Um, that brain gut connection that, you know, I talk about a lot. And I know you talk about so much of that as well. What I'm curious to, to learn from you is, you know, when I was younger, sleep was not something I ever thought about because. You know, I just went to bed when my parents told me to go to sleep, just yeah. like I'm sure everybody else. You go to bed when your parents say you go to sleep. Uh, of course, you you become a toddler and then a younger kid and you try to fight it because you're like, no, I want to stay up and play and do all the things. Right. But at the end of the day, your parents say, no, get in the bed, go to sleep. Um, and so you go to sleep. Right. And then you start high school. And, um, you know, so you have a regular routine. You got to be at school at seven, eight, nine o'clock. So you have to go to bed um, and then you get to college. And that is the first point for a lot of us where we are actually in control yeah. of when we go to sleep. And, you know, it's funny you hear freshmen talking about college and you what do they always say? Don't take an 8 a.m. class. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and the reason for that is because you get out of that routine you had in high school and that your parents instilled in you. You're grown now. You're an adult now. And 
what I'm recognizing now from all the people that I'm talking to and coaching and just looking online and listening to people's conversations is a lot of people are not getting back into that routine that their parents had established for them of yeah. getting to bed on time, you know, having a night routine, having a morning routine to, you know, break the body down and warm the body up. So I guess a good point would be probably just reconnecting with the value for why we need to sleep. Like, can you talk to us about why this is so important to us and the life-changing effects that it has? I mean, one poor night of sleep, um, not only we know about our mood, right? We know about the bad decisions we make um, we don't, when we don't sleep, but it also changes things like insulin resistance, like um, our ability to process sugars, um, our ability to choose good foods, our ability to, there's a new study that just showed that our ability to be philanthropic and help others changes um, with the lack of sleep. So we're just more giving patient um, and metabolically um, healthier when we get sleep and even one night of sleep can um, influence that. And guess what? Most of us are really not getting a good night of sleep most night of the most night of the week. And it's, it's, that's reflective of how much caffeine we consume, energy drinks and sleeping medications we're taking uh, because we're really not aware of um, how to sleep anymore or how to even improve our sleep. And so we're really not only mental health, but physical health is, is going to be impacted by the lack of sleep. So I think I can't, I think people are so exhausted about hearing how important sleep is. The problem is we don't talk enough about how do you sleep? Like, how do you, once you get out of that routine, like you said, you go to college and you're staying up all night um, and you're eating all this like greasy food late at night and then um, waking up midday, how do you fix that? Or what are the strategies once you're so stressed out, you have a family, you have kids. I hear this all the time. Like, you know, I have a very um, stressful job. I have family, I have kids and I can't sleep at night, even though I'm so tired. Like these are the things that we need to address for people. Um, because there's a, it all comes down, down to this. We, our brains, we're very, very unique, um, as animals. We're one of the only animals, um, that they have found that have a very, very, um, developed emotional brain. Um, and our emotional brain can really shut down a lot of the different parts of our brain. Um, and so when we're stressed or very emotionally charged, um, it's going to be very difficult to sleep because we have the ability to override those sleep signals. And, you know, honestly, you're basically telling your body that, um, it's too dangerous to fall asleep right now because it, mm. uh, it turns on that, um, protective mechanism of keeping you awake. And I think that goes to the root of so many people's issues with sleep is that emotional override of your sleep signals. Mm. So what would be the first step? You know, if you could just go into the, every American home and I mean, not even just American, but just everybody, yeah. like if you could just walk into the home, and you're the sleep makeover doctor. You know yeah. you're gonna you're gonna give people a makeover so they can get to sleep. Uh, where would you start? Like, where would you start? What, what's the first thing you would tell people? Okay, the low hanging fruit here is the morning and daytime light. 
Um, so nature exposure and people always think like, oh, it's not sunny where I live or it's too sunny where I live or whatever it is. Um, but it doesn't matter even if it's a cloudy overcast day, uh, whether it's raining or cold, hot, it doesn't matter that natural light that goes into your skin, your eyes, um, go straight to your brain to rewire um, and retune all the clocks in your cells and all over your body. And so that is the number one way, like I said, the low hanging fruit, just go out and get 20 minutes of sunlight during the daytime. And I know it sounds so silly, but there's a lot of people who are not getting 20 minutes of natural light, um, or, you know, nature time every day. And when I tell people that they're like, well, it doesn't matter if I sit near a window at work. No, you have to, you have to be outside or you can open the window. So the glass panes don't uh, block out a lot of that natural, um, light. So that's the first thing. Second low hanging fruit is turn off the lights when you sleep. So that sounds so stupid too, but no, think about it. TVs are on, um, iPads are on, computers are on, night lamps, light coming in from outside. Um, That all disturbs your sleep. Even if your eyes are closed, your body is sensing that there's light in the room and it's disturbing the reparative processes, uh, processes of sleep. So Super easy things that you wouldn't even think of that have nothing to do with, um, you know, sleep hygiene. We always talk about these other things that you can do like right before bed um, to improve your sleep. Uh, For example, I told my son yesterday, who's in high school, he's the exact example of, um, you know, the sleep disturbance starting to start because they talk on their phones late at night, they're on their computers, and he's sitting on his bed um, doing his work with his iPad, uh, computer open and his phone next to him. And I said, you're supposed to not use your bed for anything but sleep. And the reason why is that your body should start to like Pavlovian uh, response, like should respond to you sitting in your bed, getting under the covers as, Hey, it's time to go to bed. So when you are sitting there eating your snacks, having your phone open and your computer open, you're basically um, taking that very easy hack um, and ruining it because now your body doesn't know whether it's going to eat on the bed or it's going to study on the bed. So um, simple things like using your um, bedroom for, or at least your bed um, to get your body kind of like um, trained to automatically know that it's time to go to sleep. And then, um, so yours, let, let me, let me jump in for a second. Yeah. So you're saying treating the bed from a very simple perspective, like stimulus response. Yes. You're in the bed, you're going to sleep. Like yes. that's you're, the bed is stimulating you. The response is you're going to sleep and then removing the, Hey, let's, let's get in the bed and watch Netflix or let's get in the bed yes. and, uh, look for a new job on Indeed or any of that. You're saying, yeah. hey, just just get rid of all of that stuff in your bed. Is You get in the bed and you're going to sleep. So well, then we're so training ourselves from like a psychological perspective to expect that once we get in this bed, we're going to sleep. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. So Pavlov's dog, you know, when he um, would, they, they rang a bell every time they gave him food. And then um, soon he equated the bell with getting food. And so they would just ring the bell and he would salivate and um, get uh, all of his digestive juices going. And he would just know that food is coming, whether food was there or not. And so that's the kind of response that we want to train our bodies. Like, 
okay, it's time when these three things happen, um, sleep follows that. And we can, we can train our bodies. And it's the same thing. Like, you know, when you're anticipating food at a restaurant and the waitress like passes you by, your right. digestive juices are going, you're like, your body's expecting that food. That's what we want for sleep as well, because then you can actually bypass some of those issues that we have with kind of falling asleep. There's always that one person when you go out to a group, like group dinner, there's always that one person that's like, oh, I think that's us right there. Like yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're watching and they're just waiting for that food to come. I admittedly uh, have to take ownership that I'm often that person. I'm often yeah. the one that's like, that's us. It's coming. We're ready. Yeah. <laughs> that's the worst feeling when they pass you by or they're like, oh, whoops, not not you. And then they like turn around. And I always think of that Pavlov's dog experiment because I'm like, how true is that? When you anticipate something um, and you're so like you're used to seeing it in a certain pattern, um, your body already starts to respond to it. So mm -hmm. that's what we want for sleep. Um, and so then there's other things like your body temperature has to drop one degree to fall asleep. So if you're hot and you're sleeping in a hot room and your body temperature is going to have a hard time dropping that one degree, you're going to have a hard time sleeping. So that's why people take a shower before bed or they turn their uh, room to 68 degrees because um, they're trying to prep their body to try to drop that body temperature. As you know, um, it's easier to sleep when it's really cold uh, because your body temperature can drop faster. Um, so that's another hack to help people sleep. But honestly, that emotional override, we, you, I mean, all your work that you do to help people process those emotions, like that's going to be the magic. If you start to think about all the things that are going wrong in your life, all the people who have done you wrong and you've ever had trouble sleeping, that's what goes through your mind at night. You know, what you forgot to do, what's going wrong in your life. Everything starts to pop up. It's because that emotional, it's, it's like your, um, emotional centers in your brain, um, uh, pretty much take over and they want to process that. And if you haven't processed it during the day, um, guess what? It's nighttime that you process it. So I have a rule, no emails, exciting conversations, or text messages right before bed. Like, I don't want to hear news. I don't want to hear bad news, good news. I don't want to hear, I don't want to get an email that's stressful. You know, we've all gotten those like right before bed and you're, and all you can do all night is think about that scenario. Um, so I try to shut all of those off and you can have fun, easy, relaxed conversations, but nothing too charged, um, emotionally charged. Um, I had to definitely do that because for me, I'm one of those people who seems calm and cool. Like, Oh, I don't really care about, Oh, that person said that to me. Oh, whatever. You know? And then at night you lay down and you're like, Oh, you did care. You just didn't want to spend time thinking about it or processing it. And so it's coming back to you at night. So really working on how is it that some people write down all their, um, issues or problems, like, you know, on a piece of paper and then just put it away before bed. Um, other people imagine the good things that happened in their day to try to reframe that emotional center. Um, but those are the, um, that often is the biggest barrier to falling asleep because our cortisol um, will keep us awake uh, when we're stressed because they want you know, imagine if we were running away from an animal, we were scared that the animal is chasing us. Like you don't want to fall asleep in that situation. Your body's right. trying to keep you safe. 
Right. So I want to go back to something you said, uh, which leads me back to your book, I'm So Effing Tired. And then obviously our very first podcast, we talked about this. Uh, But you you mentioned that when we wake up, you know, we should go outside, make sure that that you didn't say stare at the sun. That's not that's not what you told me. (laughs) But you said open your eyes so sunlight can can find it. Come in. Right. And so what I'm curious is whenever I'm interviewing people, I always think about what type of potential excuses may come up that people have. Um, And I hear a person making this excuse. Um, Dr. Amy Shaw, there's no way I can go outside and get sunlight. Uh, I work inside. I work in a building. As soon as I wake up, I got to get my kids ready for school. I have to go to work. I'm at work all day. By the time I get off, it's nighttime. Yeah. So when a person tells you that, how do you invite them to the opportunity to get sunlight? Right. You know, to get outside. Like, what does that look like? Um, That looks like uh, parking the farthest spot. Uh, in your parking lot and walking for five to 10 minutes um, outside into your building. That means taking a call. One of the calls that you have in the morning, take it outside. And I'm like, I'm that crazy person and you will be too. People will look at you weird and they will think like, oh, you know, I have this office um, in Phoenix where one of my offices where there's uh, I just walk around in the parking lot when I have some downtime. This being in nature decreases your cortisol by 20%, along with rewiring those circadian rhythms. So 20% relaxation just from being outside and seeing trees. Our body is meant to see trees and hear birds. And um, it doesn't even have to be like in a park. It can just be outside anywhere. Uh, is really beneficial for our brains. So we can rewire our brains. We can um, improve our circadian rhythms, which will then improve our sleep and our attention and our mood. The biggest thing is you look at people who work night shifts um, and that's the best people to do research on because they really don't see a lot of sun at all. And um, even when you control for everything else, their rates of depression and sleep disturbance uh, is through the roof. Wow. So then a simple five to 10 minute walk before, uh, you know, before you start your shift, what if they just committed to like a 20 minute walk in the morning? Would that, yeah. do you think that would be enough? Like uh, 10 20, minutes one way, 10 minutes on the way back. hundred percent. 20 minute walk in the morning is actually ideal. That's something that I do every morning. Even if I can't do a full workout or if I can't do everything, I do a 20 minute walk. You could be on your phone um, and just be outside. Like it's not like you have to be meditating or something. You can you can take this levels, you know, one level after the other. Like on days where I'm very very busy, I just put on my headphones and um, I get on my phone. I return emails. I do work um, or I get a call or do a call or literally like I said, I park pretty far and I t- spend ten minutes um, walking to work and then ten minutes walking back. And um, that can be the minimal dose. One of my friends said that um, a colleague who's a physician who works really odd hours, she said that there's a sunny window um, in the hospital in her building that she just sits in for a few minutes during her break. And, um, you know, she goes to get a Starbucks. She goes and sits there and um, she's like, it's changed my life. Like that little. Mm -hmm. Just that one thing. Okay, so if if we're looking at this on a timeline, 
uh, sleep is the end of the day for a lot of people, right? Uh, it's also, you know, the beginning of the day, but it's probably the end of the day, right? So what do we need to do after the walk? Are there other things that we can do throughout the day, throughout the daytime, or, you know, that would prep us for the night, that would prep us to get ready to start shutting our body down? Yeah. Um, so really that, that time in nature exercise obviously has been shown to improve sleep in, um, every single form, uh, every single form of exercise, whether it's yoga, walking, weightlifting, all of it can improve sleep. Um, and it's partially because our metabolism is just working better. Our timing, our circadian rhythms work better when we exercise. So exercise during the day, um, definitely. And then caffeine. So caffeine use, um, for some, uh, depending, everybody's a different caffeine metabolizer and people like me, we can't have caffeine after noon because, um, if I have it three to five hours before bed, um, then it disturbs my sleep. So I try to stop around noon or one. I try to stop my caffeine intake. I'll probably want like this time of day, which is for us, is like about one thirty or two. I pretty much, um, it is a hard cutoff for caffeine intake because if you're a slow metabolizer, it can take you, you know, four or five hours, um, to metabolize that caffeine. And then it's cutting into that nighttime, um, hour. So, you know, our caffeine intake has gone through the roof over these last years because of poor sleep, right? So remember that caffeine is not free energy. Um, people always think, oh, it's free energy. I got more energized. No, it's stealing from your bank of energy. So you're just more, you're just going to crash harder later. So it literally blocks this thing called adenosine in your brain. And once it stops blocking it, all that adenosine that has like added up um, and built up, um, all starts to bind to the brain and all of a sudden you get this big crash and then you're tempted to get another big burst of caffeine, but you didn't clear out that adenosine. Um, that adenosine only gets cleared out if you get sleep, right? So um, it's it's like this false thought that you can just caffeine your way um, to better energy. It's not, that's not possible. And what about the people who um, are drinking the caffeine, like, you know, they go to Starbucks or whatever coffee shop and their drink has a lot of, you know, the added sugar as well. Yeah. Like, do you recommend just drinking coffee black? I mean, we know that some people just taste better with all the other yeah, things, yeah. right? So it's like, how do you navigate gate that, you know, the, the sugar plus the caffeine? Yeah. Um, so what I usually say in terms of diet is that there's many different diets that can help you sleep. Um, the best diet is an un, uh, less processed diet. So, so funny, they um, have started to label things, not just processed. Now there's a word called ultra processed. And mm. the more oh, you stay that. away from ultra processed, the better you feel in terms of your sleep and energy levels. So ultra processed means there is ingredients in there that could never be found in any kind of kitchen or restaurant setting, like no culinary setting would have, like, for example, you cannot recreate Cheetos in your home, even if you had every ingredient, because there's no, those ingredients don't exist in kitchens, right? So um, eating ultra processed foods is the one that's taking us away from sleep, good health and um, brain health, brain power. And I thought that was really eye-opening because I also was like, oh yeah, well, that's so true because you could like recreate, if you ate chocolate covered strawberries, you could recreate 
that in your home, like a dessert, like you've got your strawberries, you've got your chocolate, you could dip it, you could buy it made, but um, it's recreatable. But there's some things that you just, you can't recreate. It's like so far from a food that it could never be made again in a, in some, any form of a kitchen. So the diet that I really recommend, you can be, you know, meat, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, but you want one that is as low on the ultra processed foods as possible because Americans eat 58% of their food as ultra processed. And so even if you move and it was so eye opening to me because even healthy foods, like I eat protein bars, right? That's ultra processed. Um, There's ingredients in there that will never be found in a kitchen. This could never be recreated in your home. Um, And, uh, you know, that, so staying away from that. So that way, you know, you're not inadvertently disrupting your metabolism, um, worsening circadian rhythms. And then I always say, stop eating before bed. And, you know, I'm a big believer in overnight fasting, circadian fasting, because I know that um, your melatonin um, that we usually think about just that goes and um, tells the body that it's time to go to bed also tells the um, GI tract, um, our uh, pancreas, our uh, digestive enzymes. um, They're all told that it's time to turn off and turn down. So after about eight o'clock for most people, their metabolism is on a sleep mode. Um, And so you don't really want to have a huge meal at the end of your day in the, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12, midnight, that, that kind of thing, because that's going to disturb your sleep and worsen your metabolism um, because your insulin is going to spike and your body's going to think it's time to be awake. Mm. Hello, my friend. I would like to invite you to support the podcast. Go to sylvestermcnutt.net slash podcast, sylvestermcnutt.net slash podcast, and you could subscribe to the podcast. It's $8.88. This money will go towards the web service that I use, my engineer, everything that we need to edit, and everything that we need to bring you the best show possible. If you're a supporter of what we're doing and you love the work here, you can support for $8.88 at sylvestermcnutt.net slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. I want to have you grade my sleep routine. Okay. Okay. Uh, so what I'm looking for is feedback on the positives and then yes. like an invitation to like, okay, you could probably add this, you know, okay, to make it better. Good. So just to give you a little historical data, um, we'll go back the last couple of months. My sleep in the spring and early summer was actually really good. It was really, really good. I was getting to bed on time. Uh, and seeing all the benefits of it. In July and in August, my sleep was different. And the the main factor was that in July, I was traveling a lot. I was in California. I was doing a yoga retreat. I was sleeping in an Airbnb that wasn't mine. I couldn't really control everything. And then when I got back here in, in Arizona um, in August, it was hard to like reset. I was trying to reset myself. As of this moment, I feel reset. You know, I feel like I'm two weeks in to being fully reset to like my normal habit and pattern. Um, so here's what I do. Okay. Here's kind of like the, here's like my boundaries during the week. At 8 p.m., I shut the computer down. There's no more computer, no matter what, no matter what, there's no more computer. Uh, and I, put, I throw my phone in my office. I have an alarm clock that's next to my bed. The alarm clock will, can play sounds if I want. 
It can play like, you know, water or uh, the breeze, some wind. Um, I don't always use that to put myself to sleep. Sometimes, it's very every now and then. But I will set the alarm. I usually just set one alarm and I usually set it for either like 6 or 6.30, somewhere in there. Um, so what will I do? Okay, I'll go in the room and I'll get my gym outfit out for the morning. Like that's the first thing that I do is get my gym outfit out because I want to set my intention for it. Because mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is get up in the morning, you, you, you start getting to work and then, yep. you know, then you miss the gym. Yep. I noticed that the gym is like my thing. Like I have yeah. to go. Yeah. So I get my gym outfits. I get my socks, my shoes, everything. I get it out and I just sit it right there. Boom. Um, brush my teeth, brush my hair, put on my do-rag um, to keep my hair down. And then I turn on two fans. There's two fans. We turn on two fans. One is an oscillating fan and then one is an overhead fan. And then next to me, I have like an air purifier that like cleans mm-hmm. the air. Mm-hmm. So I turn that on and there's a fan on that. So I can hear mm-hmm. the like the white noise from that as yeah. well. Then I close the curtains. So we have blinds and then we have curtains. The curtains okay. are blackout curtains. So I close the curtains. So the room, pitch black. AC, I turn the AC. Like in the daytime, I almost keep the AC off. I'm just like, nope, I'm trying to keep the bill low. But yeah. then at night, I turn the AC up. Mm-hmm. Um, when I eat dinner, it varies because uh, I have a little one and you know sometimes they don't want to eat. And I'm like, come on, man, you got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, daddy, I eat with you, you know. But I would say ideally I eat between six and eight as like my last, my last thing. Like eight o'clock, I tr- I'm trying to not do anything. Yeah. Okay. And oh, I, how could I forget this part? I don't know if you're gonna like this part, but I have to tell you the truth, otherwise yeah. you won't be able to give me a fair grade. I like these gummy melatonins. They're coming a purple thing, and each one that I take is ten milligrams, and I take two of them. Okay. I take two of them as I get in the bed, and then that's it. I'm sleeping like 20 minutes. Um, do you have any night awakenings? Hmm. Not consistently. Okay. So I will say your sleep routine um, sound is is actually excellent because you're turning out off the blue lights. That's what you're doing. Really great blackout really great. Like I said, low hanging fruit, um, getting ready for the morning. Awesome. Eating not too close to bed. That's another good thing um, that you're doing. Um, your melatonin dose is way too high. So melatonin is naturally occurring in our body. So you don't necessarily want to give it at very, and people do, I mean, over the counter, it's available at any dose you want. Like you said, um, and you see a lot of these 10 milligram doses, but you'll be shocked. Really, the physiologic dose where you wouldn't actually get any of the side effects of you know melatonin use is more like 0.5 milligrams to two milligrams a night would be um, kind of the long-term dose if you were taking it for more than a couple of nights. So uh, because it's a hormone, uh, just like any hormone, and you don't want your natural melatonin then to, um, not be able to function. And then the second thing is, is that a lot of people notice that they, it helps them with the initial bout of sleep. But that's why I asked you about night awakenings, because a lot of times with 
melatonin, what happens is you get that initial sleep, but you'll wake up in the middle of the night and then not be able to fall back asleep. So that's not an issue. So I would say that everything sounds good. Um, you may want to experiment with using other tools, um, relaxation tools, maybe magnesium, maybe GABA, maybe um, other ways, uh, a cold shower um, to kind of induce that natural melatonin burst um, before um, bed. And, you know, what I do is uh, I rotate out the things that I do. So um, some nights it's magnesium, some nights it's melatonin, some nights it's nothing. And that way your body, you don't kind of get your body used to any one particular mm. medication. Um, of course, the sleeping medications like Benadryl and, um, have, have um, uh, medications in them that are not good for long-term use, but melatonin can be okay for long-term use as long as you kind of adjust that dosing. Okay. Okay. Now, what about uh, some people, you know, they can't exercise in the morning, like they have to exercise after work, you know, so after like four or five, 6 p.m. Is exercise, and, you know, of course, I know that everybody is different, but is it one of those things that keeps keeps us up where, you know, yeah. we may not be able to go to sleep? Like, what? tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, everybody's a little bit different with that. So, um, yes, activating exercise, of course, close to close to bedtime definitely can help, um, is harder to kind of get that heart rate down. Remember when you're trying to fall asleep, not only are you trying to drop your body temperature, or your core, you're also trying to drop your heart rate, right? So if you're like pumping, cause you just went out for like, um, a boxing class, it's going to be hard for you to get that heart rate down, to get that body temperature down. Um, it might take a couple hours actually. So that's the issue here is like some people can do it. They, they come home, they take a cold shower to get their body temperature down, um, do something really fast to get their heart rate down. So if you are able to do that, so exercise is good in any time of day, but if it's disturbing your sleep, you want to move it up a little bit. But I find like an evening walk to be actually really relaxing. So that kind of exercise can be, or like a yoga, for example, can help you reduce your heart rate and um, reduce your core body temperature. And so I think that's really good. Um, the other thing I don't think you, and you didn't talk about your daytime routine, but um, I'm a really huge believer in the 20 minute power nap um, because people like me, um, you know, I'm in this, like, uh, this stage of life called perimenopause, which is like for women, like 10 years before menopause, you can start to have hormonal symptoms, especially around certain times of the month where you can't sleep at night. And so I have this strategy of, um, picking a day of the week where I can sneak away for 20 minutes, sleep in my bed with the like blackout curtains and for 20 minutes, just kind of like catch up on that one round of sleep. It is like the most restorative thing. I highly recommend it for people that are struggling with their sleep cycle. You don't want to do it late in the day, but anytime between say one and 4 PM, um, that 20 minute stint can just change your entire day and can make up for a really bad night of sleep. It's crazy how you read my mind because <laughs> I literally was about to ask you, what's your opinion on taking naps in the afternoon? Yeah. So with, I love with, that. I love it. But it can be, um, it can, if you let it go for too long, like, you know, you know, the difference between the 20 minute power nap, most people can relate if they've ever taken a nap between the 20 minute power nap 
and the like hour and a half groggy nap the rest mm-hmm. of the day is like ruined, right? So the 20 minute power nap, um, the reason why it works so well is that it kind of gets you through one cycle of sleep and you're done. I don't know about you, but once you train yourself to do it, I I'd automatically wake up in about 20 minutes from the time I fell asleep because wow. it's one round. Um, you can definitely train yourself. The problem is I never, and I know there's other people out there that don't know how to nap because our days are just so intense and full um, that mm-hmm. even if you're like desperate, uh, it's really hard. So that's why, have you ever heard of that military sleep technique? No, tell me more. Yes, I will tell you. So I use this for daytime sleep um, power naps, but you can use it for nighttime. Um, And you can look it up on the internet. I'll probably mess up like some of the details, but basically I'll tell you my version. Um, My version is you sit at the side, um, you sit at the um, edge of your bed and you start by relaxing um, each part of your body one by one. So you start by relaxing your face, um, especially your jaw, Um, and your upper face, that jaw is where we hold a lot of tension. And then our neck, then your shoulders and your abdomen, then your hips, your legs, and then you go up the body again. And really the key to this is like, take your mind off of other things um, and just concentrate on that moment. And then you're going to slow your breath, especially that exhale. So you're going to, after you do go up and down the body, um, you take these slow exhales, you clear your mind and either you imagine yourself on floating on a boat, um, in, in a big body of water, or, um, I sometimes imagine myself at the edge of a, um, hill, you know, something very clear in your mind, um, that is not. And during this time, you'll have thoughts that pass through your head. Just let them flow through just like we do in yoga practice or meditation. Just let it uh, go through, just concentrate on clearing your mind. Um, and then, um, you lie down and then you take, um, the deep breaths again, the exhale being the most important. And what they did is they, and and then within about two minutes, and it sounds like it was, it's a long process, but it's really just like 90 seconds to two minutes of a process. Um, you'll find yourself asleep. And so, um, they did this in the army. Um, and they did this so well that after six weeks of training, army recruits could fall asleep anywhere, including active duty and on the field and, you know, in the presence of sounds and, um, craziness around them because they needed to teach them how to fall asleep in any situation and anywhere. And so I thought that was pretty empowering. And I think that the beauty for me that works, that the reason I do it for the daytime nap is that it's really hard during the day to clear your brain of all the things you have going on. And so if you're just focusing on relaxing each part of your face and your neck and your body, and then you're just focusing on your breath, you do, you can kind of escape the craziness of the day. Um, and you really can do that. And even if you don't end up falling asleep, it's like non-sleep deep rest, um, that you feel, you know, when you meditate, for example. And so I think it's a great strategy. Mm, wow. I remember, uh, when I was learning how to, uh, do guided meditations for people, um, the teacher who was teaching me, uh, has this technique called a body scan. And that's exactly what you had just yeah. named. 
where you as the, the guided meditation teacher are helping the student uh, scan their body, you know, unless how you're doing it is like you're starting with the head and the neck and just going all the way down and just coming into the present moment to really touch that sensation, the sensation of your body in this moment, which helps you connect, which is what yoga is, is union. And then it helps you sleep like that's that's beautiful. I want to go back to the parent thing, because you're a parent, um, yeah. and you've raised you've raised kids and we know that when kids are specifically newborns, their sleep schedule can be all over the place, getting up yeah. in the middle of the night because they need food, they need to be yeah. changed. Um, uh, and then it gets a lot better with toddlerhood. Um, but those parents who are new, they have newborns, they have toddlers who, you know, they want to come in your room at 5 a.m. like my boy did this morning. <laughs> How do <laughs> how do those parents specifically, you know, regain some type of uh, consistency, you know, in their sleep schedule? Um, that's a great question. And, you know, there's no easy answer because anything I say now, people will be like, well, I can't do, you know, it's impossible for me to do that. And I get it. Um, it's almost um, a very difficult few years. Um, and I know I've been there. So that, that being said, because, you know, even when you get everything right, then your kid gets a cold and, you know, they're up two or three times that night. And so it's not yeah. like there's no perfect answer here. But one of the things that I found that a lot of people do is that they end up doing a bedtime procrastination uh, ritual because they're so um, out of control in their day that when their toddler or their child goes to sleep is the first time that they have control over their time and energy and space. And I think that that's something that needs to be fixed because what I ended up, what I would see is that a lot of the people I would talk to would say, well, when they go to sleep is when I can finally, you know, finally do everything I needed to do for the day or search online for that dress I need or whatever it is. You have to figure out, um, and they have a word for that. It's called like bedtime revenge, um, you know, bedtime uh, revenge procrastination because it's your day so out of control so out of your control that you need that bedtime even though you know that the best thing would be to sleep when your toddler sleeps right like okay slow soon after they go to sleep start to you know wind down like you said you know start your routine i did the same thing that you did and i started when my kids were toddlers like when they fall asleep my routine starts. Like I put everything away. I'm getting ready for bed. Um, but I notice that a lot of parents cannot do that or don't want to do that because of this, um, time, like out of control feeling during the day. And so what I suggest to everyone is that find a time during the day. And I know that, like I said, there's no right answer because a lot of people will say, well, I can't, or I, I don't have it or whatever, but find a window of time. That's your time. Like whether it's going to the gym, whether it's just sitting, you know, while they're napping during the day, or there's some kind of window, create a window um, of your time. You need more downtime than you think. And don't wait for it to be after 9 PM or 8 PM to start everything that you were thinking about, because then you know, before, you know, lo and behold, it's midnight and then again, starts a sleep, you know, disturbed sleep cycle. And I want to add something to that. It took me a little while to learn this, but if when you're in the toddler stage, like don't wait for the toddler to go to bed to, to then, okay, I'm going to clean up from the session <laughs> that we just had of the toddler being awake. Like 
you and the toddler need to clean up together. The toddler needs to see you cleaning up so they can learn that, okay, when it's, before I go to bed, I need to clean up my room or clean up my playroom, pick up after myself. So that does two things. One, it teaches your toddler, like, this is how we behave in this house. Like, we clean up after ourselves, which they will then model that as they, you know, can do it themselves. And then two, when they get to go to bed, you literally can go sit down. Yeah. You know, and so obviously it's not perfect, but I've learned where uh, where I can make sure that I'm picking things up, cleaning things up. So when, when it's just me and him and the, like, I don't have any help, it's just me and him and he goes to bed, I can sit down for a second. Yeah. I can breathe, you yeah. know? Uh, and I think that really trying to start that nighttime routine as soon as they go to bed is probably the easiest thing for the time strapped, um, you know, working parent who has to wake up in the morning again is just start your bedtime routine. Just like you said, it's, you know, Put them wet while they're winding down, you're winding down um, so that it becomes much easier to transition to sleep time then for you. Um, that's how I handled toddlerhood is going to bed super early um, and waking up extremely early as well. And so that way we're on because I didn't have that option back then to ever take a power nap or to have any downtime during the day. Um, and if you do have the option of taking a power nap, like take that for sure. Now, what about with you having a teenager and, you know, them wanting to explore independence and they're like, oh, well, I'm going to stay up and, you know, I'm yeah. going to do this. But you and your, you know, your husband, you guys are trying to wind down in the other room and, you know, they may be playing music or playing video games. Like how do how does a parent of a teenager, uh, you know, give that balance of, OK, you are a teenager, you're coming into your own. I want to give you independence. But like at the same time you're making so much noise. I can't sleep. So like, how do you, how do you balance that as a yeah. mom of teenagers now? Uh, that's a great question. That's a new navigation thing that I've had to learn. So I still learn that, you know, teenagers, their brain is still developing. So they're um, not necessarily going to know what's best for them all the time. You know, as you know, we can't trust them with everything. You want to give them more independence, but one, one of the only things that I'm very strict about is sleep because I know what an impact it can have on a teenager's brain, even more so. I mean, the impact when you look at teenagers and depression, teenagers and poor performance in school, performance, um, happiness uh, measures, like basically everything comes back to um, sleep and sun exposure, right? Like, so I'm very, so my son decided that he wanted to run cross country. Meanwhile, this kid has never run before in his life. He's not a runner by any means, not, not the running type. And, but I was elated because what that meant to me was the 20 minutes of sunlight that we talked about nature time in the morning. Um, and it would be forced. And then it would mean that I could regulate the sleep time, um, you know, where I wouldn't necessarily be able to before I said, okay, well, you can do that, but then you have to be in bed no later than 8.30 or 9, so you can get up at 5, you know, and um, and I think that made um, him have more of a schedule and me feel like I can enforce the schedule. I highly recommend that kids, um, especially in high school, do outdoor sports, um, whether it's for competition or just for health reasons. I just think that there's not enough nature time that we get, you know, as kids in America or just in the modern world and it's impacting our whole life. And this is the time that you have 
still have time to rewire those hormones or neurological pathways, um, the, the brain pathways. And so that's a great time for you to get a lot of, um, you know, input from the sun, but, you know, uh, gaming and internet has changed so much of that. So I try to encourage as much as possible to be, you know, outdoors and they know themselves, like you, I'm sure your toddler can tell you too, like they feel better when they're outdoors playing outside in the sun. Like it makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, and he's even at the point where he'll say, daddy, let's go for a walk. Like he knows, like he knows if he's been in the house too long, he'll say, daddy, I need to go outside, you know? So he knows it. Um, and I, I 100% agree with you as a former athlete, you know, I I did football and track and I can honestly tell you that playing sports, I feel like it helped so many things. I feel like it helped my social life. It helped me meet meet people like effortlessly. Uh, it helped me stay on track in school because you have to do good in, in your school in order to do, you know, to be on the eligible for sports. Um, I can't remember my junior and senior year of high school ever staying up late. Really, I really can't because I knew I had practice the next day. I had lifting the next day. I had so many responsibilities that, one, I was tired because I gave my all to the day, you know, and then I knew I had stuff coming the next day. So sleep was like a really big thing for me. Um, yeah, so I, I agree. I'm Yeah, I think kids definitely can benefit from being um, like in competitive sports that are outdoor for sure. Yeah, and, and that discipline that you get. Uh, of that sleep and morning routine is something that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life. Like I um, recently had a friend from college visit and she said to me, she's like, oh yeah, you know, except for that first couple of months of college, you know, when everyone's kind of off schedule, she's like, you were always trying to like, you know, get up early, go to bed. And I I forget because you think, oh, in college, I was so fun. Like I used to like do all this crazy stuff. But she reminded me that I was pretty disciplined because I knew I had I had a goal, like I wanted to, you know, do well and do a lot of things in my life. And like, you have to have that routine. Otherwise that discipline in your daily routine, otherwise it's not going to happen. Um, on, the, on the subject of parenthood, since we're there, I want to stay there. What are, you know, some of the principles and, and morals that, you know, cause you use the word strict, what are some of the principles and morals that are extremely important to you that you have either passed down or are Mm -hmm. in the process of integrating um, with your kids? And then also, what are some of the things that you're a little bit more lenient with and that you don't, you know, you're not as strong on? Well, 100%, I will tell you, 100% the lesson I have learned in parenting, and I would tell anyone this, is that model good behavior, don't force good behavior. I mean, that's like, that is the model that I parent with is you model what you want them to see, but you can't control them. Like your child is going to be your child. Um, They have their own personality. And I think a lot of parents want to force their kids into a mold that they have built for them. But I've learned through, you know, relationships as well. Like your, your significant other, your friends, um, your parents and your children, especially they're not going to listen to you about what you want from them. Um, you just basically model uh, good behavior and you let them free. You know, that's that's how I deal with all the relationships in my life is like, you can't force anyone to do anything. You, you and I both know that. Um, and I think lots of parents in this day and age are 
in this helicopter parenting mode where, you know, you won't believe it. My son in high school, you can check all of his assignments that are due every day on a parent like app. You know, Mm. you can be monitoring every little thing that they have going on because a level of parenting in this day and age has become to the point where the parents are like in school practically with the kids, you know, telling them what to do at every moment. And I'm like, I'm not looking at that. I'm going to model what good behavior is and let them free because in life, that's how it works, right? You can't, we want them to come to us if they need help or support, but um, you can't force them to do anything. I couldn't imagine log with all the things that I have to do. I couldn't <laughs> no. imagine asking, a- adding another task to see, you know, did this dude do his homework today? Like oh my God. <laughs> and in high school, I have friends who say, Oh, well, you know, you have to keep on top of that because you remind them. I'm like, that is so overwhelming um, because you're basically like on their, like kind of like overlooking them at every moment. Like you let them free, let them fall a little bit. You can, you know, of course it's easier to say, you don't want them to fall too far, right? You want to pick, you want to help them if they're really struggling or if they've gotten themselves into bad trouble or whatever. But for the most part, I feel like we have so many ideas of what we want our kids to be or what we want our significant other to be or who we want them to, uh, what we want them to model. But none of that matters. Um, really it's who they want to be, right? Like, and you can express to them what you think is great, but, um, you can't force them to be that person. I love that. I feel like your mentality is really aligned with mine. I've never, I've never been into forcing anybody to do anything. You know, I think the other thing too, is like on our end, you know, as, as a parent, as a friend, as a, as a partner, as a, you know, employee, business partner, like whatever, whatever the title is, I just feel like there's so much power in, uh, you know, being wanted, being valued, yeah. what you're what you're saying to be valued, what you're saying to be respected, you know, and I have to yell at you and scream at you and like make you do what I'm saying or like force you to do it. It, I mean, it just, first of all, it doesn't have a, a lasting impression, No, you know, because you're leading with fear, you're leading with anger, you're leading with hostility, um, you're leading with force. Um, and then too, it's like, I don't want anyone to, when they think of me, it's like, oh yeah, this is a person who forces me to do everything. It's like, yeah. Where, like that's not the perception I'm trying to create for for anyone. Yes, there's things where it's like, okay, you do need to clean up your room. Come on, like let's go. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Exactly. Let's do it together. Let me show you how to do it. Put this here, you put this here, you put this here. I know I have to show you a thousand times, right. but there's gonna be a point where I don't have to show you anymore. And at that point, you're free, you know. So my last question for you is this. Uh it's called the Free Your Energy Podcast. This is your second time on. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, Appreciate I love it. you. Uh, when on today, in this moment, when you hear the word, the phrase, free your energy, what does that mean for you? How do you interpret free your energy? Um, free your energy means to me is that, uh, everyone on this planet, we're here because we have some energy to give, um, and we feel passionate about something, right? Something we want to make it impact in our community, in our family, in our, in the world. Um, and free your energy just means to me that you have, you are doing that. You are freely sharing your, your, your gifts and talents with the world. And I think a lot of people live these lives where, um, they keep that inside and then they're fully 
unsatisfied because um, they're not doing something that they love. They're not expressing what they really want to say. Um, and before you know it, it's it's too late to do that. Mm. Powerful words. Powerful words. Thank you so much for joining uh, today's episode, jamming with us all about sleep and parenthood. I didn't know we were going to uh, yeah, dive into it. parenthood, but um, I'm grateful we went there. I'm grateful. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Free Your Energy podcast. Reviews are everything. Please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope this helped you. I hope it served you. And I hope you continue to free your energy.